Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Say date is November 20th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over my preview of the game between the Miami Dolphins and the Denver Broncos. Now, before we get into that, it's very important we discuss something first. Uh, very horrible news of the, the passing of Dolphins legend Jake Scott. He was a safety for the team. He donned the number 13 before Dan Marino did. He is the franchise's all-time uh, leader in interceptions, and he passed away yesterday. So we want to give our thoughts and our condolences. He was a great player. He was the MVP of Super Bowl Seven, which the Dolphins went undefeated in. He was a five-time Pro Bowler consecutively from 1971 to 1975, and he was a two-time All-Pro. So we want to give our thoughts and our condolences to his family, uh, from everyone here who helps me with Via the Source, and we are just uh, very sad to hear this news. Uh, now, we're going to go into this preview of the game between the Miami Dolphins and the Denver Broncos. So, the Miami Dolphins are 6-3. and three. They will be facing off against the Denver Broncos, who are 3-6 and six, this Sunday in Denver, Colorado. The Dolphins are coming off of their fifth consecutive win after what was another impressive performance against the Los Angeles Chargers. On the other side, the Broncos are coming off of a huge 37-12 loss against the Raiders that featured quarterback Drew Locke throwing four interceptions. So, We'll begin by taking a look at the Dolphins, and we'll take a look at their team stats to begin. Offensively, the Dolphins are 29th in total offense. Passing, they are 26th, and in rushing, they are 28th. So, you know, yard-wise, they are not getting a whole bunch of yards across the board here. The Dolphins' offense is led by quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. The rookie has found a nice rhythm, remaining undefeated as a team starter, while also not throwing a single interception yet. Now, this season, Tua has a 63.6 completion percentage. He has 519 yards passing and five touchdowns on the season. Now, Tua hasn't necessarily been the risk-taking gunslinger that Justin Herbert has been or maybe Joe Burrow so far this season, but that is not necessarily a bad thing. Tua has been extremely precise. He has been smart with the ball, and he has been composed when he is faced with pressure. Those traits, they may not always show on the stat sheet, but they will show in the win column, and I think you can see that right now. Now, per NFL's next-gen stats, Tua had the highest aggressiveness last week, and that's a stat, again, that calculates whether a quarterback is throwing into tight windows often or not. In his other games, he was also in the top five of that stat. So, in other words, he is throwing to contested receivers often, but that really may be more indicative of the receiver's inability to create separation. As of right now, Devontae Parker is second to last in separation, and Mike Kosicki is fourth to last. Preston Williams isn't too far behind both of them, and that is again per NFL's next-gen stats. Now, if we take a look at the running game here for Miami, it was led by Savan Ahmed last week, and he was extremely effective for the team. Ahmed had one of the best rushing performances so far of the season for Miami, racking up 85 yards on the ground. His electric speed should lead to him receiving the bulk of the work again in this one, and potentially having a chance to solidify himself as the starter, considering that Miles Gaskin could be returning soon from that MCL sprain. Now, things could be interesting here with the running back situation because Matt Breida will be likely returning from a hamstring injury. He practiced in full on Wednesday, and he also 
also offers this blazing home run threat because he has this crazy speed. So if Breida is active for this game, there is a legitimate chance the Dolphins elect to split carries between Ahmed and Breida. The Dolphins, if you remember, traded a fifth round pick to get Breida during the offseason. So they may be inclined to get some usage out of him, especially when you consider that the Jordan Howard signing proved to be worthless as of right now. The team elected to waive Jordan Howard this past Tuesday. Now, another running back here, the Dolphins traded for running back DeAndre Washington at the trade deadline. Washington could also be potentially added to the mix here. Last week, he played on the final drive, totaling two yards on two carries. Now, if we go and we go take a look at the receiver group here for Miami, the Dolphins receiver group will be led by Devontae Parker. Now, Parker hasn't been having the breakout season that he had last year. He's combined for 98 yards in the three games that Tua has started. Now, though his numbers aren't really impressive, Parker said he is unbothered as long as the team is successful. He said, quote, I'm not worried about stats. I just want to win, close quote. Now, Preston Williams suffered a foot injury in week nine and was placed on IR. Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald reported that the injury may even be season ending. In his place, receiver Jakeem Grant was able to step up and have a pretty productive day. Last week, Grant led the team in receiving yards. He had 43 yards and he also had a touchdown. Now, uh, Tungavailoa had plenty of praise for Grant after his game. He said, quote, uh, Jakeem is a phenomenal player. He does a lot of, quote, brotherhood routes. What I mean by that is he he runs routes that he knows he isn't going to get the ball, but it helps get other people open, close quote. Now, Mike Gesicki, he had 40 yards last week, and though he is the clear most dynamic receiving tight end on this team, Durham Smythe and Adam Shaheen have also been heavily involved, and that might be taking away from his productiveness. Now, last week, Fans saw the most involvement from gadget player Malcolm Perry, who had 27 total yards. Perry showcased his wonderful ability to make players miss and pick up extra yards. And really, based off how explosive he looked last week, I would expect his involvement to increase on a week-to-week -week basis. Now, if we switch over to the defensive side of the ball here for Miami, in total yards allowed, they are 19th. In passing yards allowed, they are also 19th. And in rushing yards allowed, they are 21st. The Dolphins' defense is a force to be reckoned with right now. They are fourth in the NFL in turnovers caused. They have the fifth highest blitz percentage at 41.6%. And they are fifth in the NFL in points per game allowed. They are solid just across the board with some players that are making huge strides in this system. So that has kind of opened the door for many people across the national media that have been praising the Dolphins for this, quote, amoeba defense. And it's one that features this blob of defenders who are bouncing around near the line of scrimmage prior to the snap. And that movement allows for these disguised blitzes to fly in while also causing a ton of confusion in coverage. And that was noted by Chargers receiver Keenan Allen after the game last week. And Allen said that the team was forced to run the ball heavily to avoid any catastrophic plays. That is crazy. Now, defensive end Emmanuel Ogba is fourth in the NFL in sacks with eight. Ogba is also third in forced fumbles. He has five pass deflections at the line of scrimmage, and he has just been an absolute monster all season, and that should continue this week. Cornerback Xavier Howard is second in the NFL in interceptions with five. He had that momentum-shifting interception last week in the fourth quarter, and he's done a terrific job at neutralizing the opponent's primary receiver on a week-to-week -week basis. 
Howard has been targeted more than any player on the team for the Dolphins, but has surrendered a team low completion rate of just 49%. Now, safety, Eric Rowe, he has been a massive factor in the team's success. Rowe has been the one who is tasked with covering opposing tight ends, and he has done a tremendous job at neutralizing them all season. Rowe only has three missed tackles on this season as well. Now, cornerback Nick Needham is deserving of some praise right now. He's coming off of one of his best games where he was, at times, asked with covering uh, Keenan Allen, one of the best route runners in all of football. Now, Needham in that game also had a huge sack early on, and while Needham isn't playing at the same level yet as Xavier Howard or Eric Rowe, he has been trending upwards and really continues to impress many people. If we look at linebacker Landon Roberts, he has been just a magnet for huge hits. As I mentioned last week in the last episode, in the open field and in coverage, I think he's still a massive liability. However, every now and then he will rip through the offensive line to make a massive tackle for a loss. Currently, right now, he leads the Dolphins in tackles for a loss with six. Now, the Dolphins may again be without defensive tackle Christian Wilkins, and that would mean a larger role for rookie Raquan Davis, who had his best game as a pro last week, and he led the Dolphins in tackles with six. Davis has, of course, as everyone knows, a massive frame. He has all the physical tools one could ever desire at his position. And frankly, I think it's only a matter of time about whether he can hone in on that potential to take the next step. Now, if we switch over here and we take a look at the Denver Broncos, we'll start with their offense. On the offensive side of the ball, the Broncos are 26th in total offense. In passing yards, they are 23rd. And in rushing yards, they are 19th. The Broncos offense is led by Drew Locke as of right now. Locke was fairly Fairly impressive last season as a rookie. He led the Broncos to four wins in his five games. This season, though, he has fallen from grace. He put up only seven touchdowns this season, and he has 10 interceptions. As a result of the offensive struggles, a team has fallen to a 2-7 and seven record with him as the starter. And that has many people wondering whether the Broncos will actually be looking to draft a quarterback in this upcoming draft. Locke has one game this season with over 300 yards passing, and he only has two games without an interception. He has three games without a passing touchdown, and he threw for four interceptions last week. Locke is currently listed as questionable after sustaining a shoulder injury last week, so that's something that you may need to be looking out for. If Locke is unable to go, it will likely mean that second-year quarterback Brett Rippon will start in place for him. This would be Rippon's second start, the first being week four on Thursday night against the New York Jets. Now, Rippon was able to lead the Broncos to a victory in that week over the Jets. Uh, he had 242 yards and he had two touchdowns. However, it's not as if I think he was electric in that game. While he had several nice throws, including a 40-yard pass to Tim Patrick, he also threw three interceptions in that game to one of the worst defenses in football, including one pick six. His 48-yard touchdown to Jerry Judy earlier in that game was a ball that was launched on a prayer, and luckily Judy just made a miraculous play and mossed the defender. Now, Rippin, after that game, was heavily praised for his performance, and to me, that just seems extremely overblown. 
Kekkonen to kind of vent a little bit. Last week, it seems like the commentators of the game were really impressed, and they kept mentioning how impressed they were with Kalen Balazs, who was averaging just under four yards a carry. And it just makes me wonder, like, what are the standards that we're calling performances impressive? Because I understand by Kalen Balazs' own standards, that was an impressive performance. But when I think impressive, I'm thinking Dalvin Cook, uh, you know, putting up three touchdowns in a game or Derrick Henry. I'm not thinking of what Kalen Balazs was doing as necessarily impressive. And the same thing goes for Brett Rippon. Somehow, Brett Rippon throwing two touchdowns, one of them which was complete luck, and then throwing three picks against the Jets was impressive. But yet, Tua... Uh, in his game, his first start against the Rams with the defensive player in the year and one of the toughest defenses was a massive letdown. And that kind of has me wondering, what is the standard that we are measuring these things where Brett Rippon's game was impressive and Tua's was a disappointment? I just had to get that off my chest. Now, if we take a look at the Broncos running game, it's going to be led by a duo of Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. Gordon right now leads the Broncos in rushing yards with 493 and he has four touchdowns. He is averaging as of right now four 4.1 yards per carry. Now, Gordon has been pretty effective throughout his whole career, both as a rusher and catching balls out of the backfield. The main knock on him has always been his ball security, which continues to hurt him as of right now as he has three fumbles on the season. Philip Lindsay has missed three games so far this year, but he has been the most efficient runner for the Broncos. This season, he has 312 yards rushing with an average of 5.4 yards per carry. Now, the Broncos lost receiver Cortland Sutton, who's their clear best receiver receiver early on in the year, and they have been forced to rely on receivers Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton, and KJ Hamler. Now, Jerry Judy, he hasn't been putting up massive numbers by any means, but the skill is definitely there. He leads a team in receiving yards with 552, and he has two touchdowns. Now, he is already, I think, one of the best route runners in the NFL. It's only a matter of time, I think, until he is talked about the same way that we talk about Keenan Allen. In week eight, he showed off that witty route running by pointing up field, causing the defender to bite only to stop on a dime, catch the ball, and record a touchdown. Now, Judy, as of right now, may not be capable of single-handedly dominating a game, but he is still capable, I think, of capitalizing on some small mistakes, so keep that in mind. Now, receiver Tim Patrick has been one of the most productive players for the Broncos, pretty surprisingly. He has this athletic build, utilizing his uh, six-foot-four frame to make these really impressive highlight reel catches. This season, he has 444 yards, and he has three touchdowns. Now, rookie KJ Hamler is already impressing many with his performances out of the slot. He has only played in six games this season, but he has a catch of 17-plus yards in all but one game. He is very challenging to guard, displaying his impressive 4.27 40 time. Now, Nick Needham, who has been great so far out of the slot, and I mentioned earlier, he cannot afford to sleep on this rookie who has this kind of blazing speed. Now, tight end for the Broncos, Noah Fant is a physical specimen. It's really a mystery where these kind of athletes are found, but Fant is a massive 6'4", 250-pound dynamic tight end who ran a 4.540. He has has 367 yards and two touchdowns so far this season. He leads the Broncos in yards after the catch with 218. Now, Fant has all the skills, I think, to be the next big tight end of the league, but he has dealt with a lot of injuries, especially this season. He is currently listed as questionable for this Sunday's game with an ankle injury that he has been battling for much of the year. 
Now, Dolphins safety Eric Rowe and linebacker Jerome Baker have been doing a tremendous job all season at neutralizing the tight end position. Most notably, they held 49ers tight end George Kittle to only 44 yards. The Dolphins have allowed only 343 yards to tight ends this season, and that is fourth best in the NFL. Now, if we take a look at the defensive side of the ball for the Denver Broncos, in total yards allowed, they are 17th. In passing yards allowed, they are 14th. And in rushing yards allowed, they are 20. Third. Now, head coach Vic Fangio was praised for his defensive work back with the Chicago Bears, making him one of the best in the entire league. Many have been praising his system for a bit here in Denver, but after some time that has been ravaged with injuries, it's fair to ask, you know, whether they're ever going to meet those original expectations. Fangio deploys this hybrid 3-4 base that utilizes match zones. These match zones, or pattern matching, allow a defender to play man within their respective zone. This allows for more adaptability and for the coverage to appear different before the snap than it actually is. With the NFL trending more to these three receiver sets and more, Fangio will at times utilize his 2-4-5 defense with two down linemen who are three techniques, two linebackers who are rushing off of the edge, and the other two linebackers either dropping into coverage or coming in on a rare blitz. Now I say rare blitz because the Broncos have sent a blitz on 29% of their plays, which is significantly fewer than the Dolphins. Now, despite that number being much lower though, uh, they have just as many sacks as the Dolphins and nearly twice as many quarterback hurries. So with all the hype that Miami has garnered for their disguised defensive prowess, the Broncos do have a bit of their own there. Their problem is that the starting lineup has been torn apart by so many injuries that I don't think the scheme is truly capable of compensating for the lack of talent enough. Now the Broncos defense will be without Von Miller, Jarrell Casey, Jonathan Harris, Shelby Harris, Mark Barron, and a handful of others. Now not all of those guys are the elite talent that Von Miller is, but they were all expected to have roles on this team. The Broncos strength as of right now on the defense lies in their secondary. Cornerback Bryce Callahan has been playing well for the team. He has two interceptions this season. The Broncos elected to nominate him as well as AJ Bouye for their respective Pro Bowl spots. Now, Bouye, on the other hand, he was back in 2017 among the top cornerbacks in all of the NFL, but right now with the Broncos, he is far from it. He has given up 172 yards and a 71% completion percentage in coverage in just four games this season. Now, Denver fans have been disappointed with not only his coverage, but his ability to tackle. Now, as of right now, though, currently, A.J. Bouye is listed as questionable for this game. Now, safety Kareem Jackson, another former Texan on this team, is a strong tackler, and he is uh, that's kind of the focus of this Vic Fangio-led defense. The Broncos' defense allows for these underneath routes to be completed with the idea that the secondary won't be giving up the big play and that their strong tackling can make the stop, and Kareem Jackson can do that. Safety Justin Simmons has also been having a strong season. He is third on the team in tackles, and he has the most pass deflections. Now, Simmons has one career touchdown and that may sound familiar because that came on a pick six against the Dolphins back in 2017. The last guy to talk about here on the Broncos D is edge rusher Bradley Chubb. He has been great so far this season off the edge. He has 5.5 sacks on the season which is most on the team. It's no surprise that he leads a team in basically every pass rushing stat including knockdowns, pressures, and hurries for the team. He is somebody the Dolphins will need to plan uh, very heavily for in this upcoming matchup. 
Now we move on to my expectations for this game. Now I had somebody ask me a question and it kind of turn uh, ties into my first expectation. And his name is uh, Otter123 on Twitter. He said, over and under Finn's defensive takeaways, I say they get at least three in this game. So my first expectation in this game is that the Dolphins defense will have a field day on the Broncos regardless of who is the quarterback. The Broncos quarterbacks have been hurried 44 times this season, which is fourth most in the NFL. The Dolphins have faced much tougher offenses and have had solid results nearly every time. The Broncos, again, may be without their QB1, their wide receiver 1, their tight end 1 and 2. To me, those are all signs pointing to this being a defensive showcase for Miami. Plus, the Broncos have the most turnovers in the entire NFL. That just makes this one an easy takeaway for me. So to answer that question, uh, saying that they get at least 3, I have that number probably right at 3. If the over and under was at 2.5, I would take the over. If it was at 3.5, you know, I would be maybe inclined to say with Drew Locke at quarterback, maybe the under and have them right at 3, because I do think there is a possibility that they look at what the Chargers did and they say, hey, yeah, against this defense, we have no chance to pass it. Let's just stay on the ground. So if that's the case, then maybe the Dolphins just don't have as many opportunities to get interceptions because they will be so, you know, scared, just like how the Chargers were. Now, my next expectation for this game is that the Dolphins are not as effective in the past game as they have been. I think offensively, this game could look a lot like Miami's game against the Rams. Despite the Rams being much more talented on paper, I think the Broncos have a solid secondary and they have a viable ability to create pressure pretty consistently. That could make this game hard for Miami to move the ball. And I would not be surprised if Tua's first interception comes in this game. Now for my keys to the victory for this one, the first key to the victory I have is don't allow the big play. The Dolphins defense, uh, you know, two weeks ago was disrupting Kyler Murray with the pressure just fine until he connected on a 75 yard bomb to Christian Kirk. Now receivers KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy are extremely shifty. They can both break a big play over the top at any moment. Now they shouldn't present too much of a challenge necessarily, but they are still capable of capitalizing on a moment where there is some sort of lax coverage or a mistake. My next key to the victory here is to be secure with the football. As mentioned before, the Broncos may not have the talent across the board defensively, but they are still capable of presenting a difficult or respectable scheme against Miami. Their playmakers do lie in the secondary, and even though they may not be having a great season, on an individual level, they can each make some plays on the ball, and they must be respected. My last key to the victory here is to contain the run. As Keenan Allen said, the Chargers ran heavily to avoid any catastrophic plays. Well, the Broncos' offense is the embodiment of a catastrophic play waiting to happen. Drew Locke has made some of the most questionable passes I've seen so far this season whenever there is even a slight bit of pressure. There is a realistic chance the Broncos elect to run the ball heavily in this one, much like the Chargers did. If that's the case, Melvin Gordon, who hasn't been terrific, he is much better than Kalen Balazs. The Dolphins haven't been great at stopping the run, so in this one, they may have to change that. You have to force either Drew Locke or Brett Rippon to throw the ball. Guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up my episode. As always, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at ShadySteven and at via the source. I would greatly appreciate that. If you enjoyed the episode, if you could leave a review on the Apple Podcast app, that would be a tremendous help for me. Any shares and likes, they go a long way, guys, and I cannot emphasize enough how much it helps me and how much I appreciate you guys for doing that. And as always, if you have any comments or topics or questions you'd like for me to discuss in future episodes, feel 
free to send them my way and I would gladly do so in a future episode. But guys, that's how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Stephen Masso and this was Via the Source.